Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network proudly presents to you the Trios Tag Team Champions of the World, the Masked Library Kevin Hellions, Sweet Maddie Treats, and the Educator of Excellence, collectively known as the House Show. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of The House Show. It is your host, Mr. Maddie Treats. I'm here. I'm okay. It's not time anymore. It is time now. I don't know what's going on anymore when it comes to these old in-your-house pay-per-views. Uh, but I know I have my crew with me, Mr. Educator of Excellence. How are you doing today, buddy? Oh my goodness, we are slowly tiptoeing away from school year being complete and now looking at potential summer uh, opportunities both uh, for driver education as well as doing a little retro at the game store. Um, looking forward to look uh, this particular show. I want to say hello to all the listeners uh, that are checking this out through Podbean or directly linking through the Facebook page or the, through the Retro Network. Uh, thank you guys for lending your ears. Always love to hear the feedback and what you guys think of our show. Extremely appreciative for my two co-hosts today, being able to talk to them and 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 talk the uh, the jive in regards to uh, this particular show. I was very fond of this show. I remember way back in the day, and uh, going back with the nostalgia goggles, uh, my perspective on this show has changed a lot. So I'll be looking forward to getting uh, your guys' opinions on it as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a very interesting show. Of course, a very interesting time. Um, you know, we're a month away from. Uh basically stone cold being stone cold being the biggest thing on the planet in professional wrestling uh of course thank you to wrestlemania 13 thank you to bret hart uh which i consider the greatest wrestlemania match of all time just because one it's a fantastic match but two it really does launch stone cold into another stratosphere with the double turn at that match so um it's kind of interesting to see where it came from but with me as always, is our third man, Mr. Kevin Hallians. Kevin, sounds like you're enjoying a nice Tootsie Roll over there. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> you know, I've, I've had a busy time too there. I don't know if you guys know, but the brand new Pokemon season was released on Netflix. Oh. I had to marathon the entire season. Big so- on Sword and Shield, the new Galar region, Score Bunny. Exciting times. Now, with Score Bunny, did, did they come out with the Blade and the Butcher? <laughs> the Score Blade and the Score Butcher. That, or coming a, out with Cure is it a QT Marshall? That's that's Score his, uh, that's his Pokemon evolution chain. Oh, okay. Um, how many episodes in the new season of Pokemon? Uh, twelve, and then every three months is going to be another twelve on Netflix. How how long are they? They have twenty minutes. Twenty minutes. And I'm sure I'm sure DC likes them. He does. This is the 23rd season of Pokemon, and there are over a thousand episodes. <laughs> what? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. Is it Don't the longest have... longest running television show on TV? Longest episodic television show yeah. on TV? Oh, maybe. I I can't believe that over a thousand episodes. Well, now that I think about it, I mean, Pokemon came out what 95. 
and then they probably just run it's episodes every new year, episodes right? every year yeah each each game gets two or three seasons is that the continuous like series like is it just one long series or is it have they done rebranding throughout yes and no um with each game much like educator with having more video game knowledge with each game ash and pikachu go to a new area of the world and that's where they meet all the new pokemon and make new friends and stuff like that so each game is kind of like a start over but you'll have random like oh here's my friend from like two seasons ago showing up to say hi or you know reference back but every any kid because you know pokemon and like ninja turtles is big one too a kid's gonna grow up you get like a two three year window where they're into it and then they lose interest with it but by the time they lose interest the younger kids are now gonna be into it and they can have their version of it like the ninja turtles the educator and i watched as a kid is like five six versions ago right. at least if not more but every generation you know every couple of years of kids gets theirs that's you know that's my ninja turtle that's my pokemon that i can latch on to love all my life so it's kind of brilliant you know, I wasn't um, going to, to do this, but um, I think we have to have another intervention, Mr. McCarthy. I, uh, um, time. With, with Kevin, because because I've he's reusing... TikTok. No, not TikTok. You're reusing bits that you've done on the TRN, the, the main show, because I've heard your... Oh, it's a new season for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles talk when you co-hosted with Jason. Yes, but I can't assume that the listeners for the main show and the listeners for this show are the same. It's much like Stan Lee said, every comic is someone's first comic. So you can't just assume they come in with all this previous knowledge. I'm going to assume that the listeners are smart enough to know the great content that both shows offer and have been listening to both shows this entire time. They should. They should. Maybe they don't have the commute you do and have all the, the podcasting listening. Time. That is true. I, of course, I do have a three hour commute uh, total total time. Uh, yeah, it's still going, guys. Still going. But you know what? I've, I've figured out. OK, so we got um, condensed hours at work, so we're not working these long hours. Um, I'm working more closes now so I can actually sleep in. I don't have to get up at 5 a.m. to make it to work by 7 Um you know, because I only need a half an hour to look this good. So anyways, uh, what I've been doing is I eat lunch before, probably around 1130. I, I pick something up while I'm there. Uh, I usually get a break around, you know, three, four o'clock. Uh, I usually go grab some sushi from our local store, a Wegmans. Uh, if you've ever been to a Wegmans, it's fantastic. So I grab two sushi rolls. Okay. So I eat one right then and there because I'm really not that hungry, but I probably should have something because I'm not going to be done till about eight o'clock at night. So I put the other sushi roll in uh, the fridge and then at the end of the night, I take it and guess what I got guys? I got car sushi now. Car sushi, <laughs> baby. Sushi, sushi in the car. It's not going to eat itself. Yeah, it's fantastic. You put the wasabi on first. Because you don't want to open that while you're driving and it gets on the dash and all that sort of stuff. So Spread it all out put, on the individual. Yeah. And then you could just, you know, it, it's really like they're like poppables. You could just take <laughs> pop it. Boom. Have you ever, what do you think is the easiest food to eat while you're driving? Educator. What do you, what do you think? Now, educator, 
you um what do you teach in your class because you teach driver's ed <laughs> so what do you think is uh, uh the the best food to eat in the car while you're driving what do you teach your students a biomechanical distraction is any kind of distraction that involves you having to take your hands off your point of contact of the steering wheel in order to touch anything whether it be a communications device food anything so you got to be able to, you know, easiest way to go would be if you wear one of those beer caps with the straws that are already connected to your mouth so that you can drive. I, I, have, tr I have tried that, but the <laughs> rice gets stuck in it. The so. rice gets stuck. <laughs> Always gets stuck in it. Uh, Kevin, what do you think is the easiest food to eat in the car? I, I guess they like chicken nuggets, chicken tenders, something like that. I think would be the easiest popcorn chicken. And then you get your protein for the day, too. It's a healthy meal, really. Yeah, you uh, didn't have chips. to dip, dip it in sauce. Yeah, I would go with like a chi uh, potato chip or something like that. Yeah, just don't do Doritos or, or Cheetos because then you get it all on the oh, dash. No. Yeah, 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 you can't do that. Oh, you, it's a whole you big, have the, yeah, it's a whole big thing. It's just you I, gotta have the yeah. the clean steering wheel. Right. Um, I, I gotta say though, treats. Uh, I empathize with your your commute and the time that it takes. Um, because I recently cut my commute in half. Oh yeah. Yeah, I unplugged the laptop and brought it into the living room. Just cut my commute in half right there. Saves so much time every day now. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's just, it's, you got to find the, it's the little wins in life. <laughs> in car sushi, you know, you keep your hands at 10 and ten and roll. 10 and, and roll, uh, that, <laughs> Always. Better and, than you know, roll. <laughs> it's one of the things that, uh, you know, one of the things I like is, you know, tempora in the car so it's fantastic so why don't we go right into our event of course we're in chattanooga tennessee at the utc arena the date february 16th 1997 and we're surrounded by 6400 of our closest friends and we're greeted at first by a video um kind of setting up the whole um, the whole thing, what, what's going on right now with the final four, of course, you know, Vader, Taker, Brett and Stone Cold, Steve Austin fighting for the uh, world championship. Of course, HBK guys, he's, he's lost his smile. He has to give up the belt. Matt, what do you remember of, you know, HBK losing his smile? I mean, this was big news back then. Um, as a fan and certainly in the infancy of internet and not really knowing the behind the scenes stuff. I just found it was odd that they invested so much energy into the big Raw Rumble pay-per-view and Shawn Michaels winning back the WWF championship from Psycho Sid. And then suddenly, two weeks later, he's handing the belt over uh, and is forfeiting the title. And he's going through a promo and he's crying on camera and he's stumbling over his words and he's talking about how he, he wanted to go hard, do all these things and be limousine riding and autograph signing and doing all of the everything that entails the WWF champion. And he's lived his year and he's gone hard and he's gone strong. But, you know, he doesn't know if his knee is is repairable or not. And suddenly it's now now it's a problem. And. I just didn't get it at the time. To me, it didn't make sense knowing some of the stories now as an adult and reading about the gossip and the innuendo that, you know, he wasn't excited about what the tentative WrestleMania plans were and doing the favor back to Bret Hart kind of deal. 
Um, you know, it, it, it's unfortunate. And basically, they just the writers and uh, producers just had to hit the reset button and change things all up and uh, trying to uh make it chicken you know chicken salad out of chicken poo kind of deal so you know what are you gonna do do you remember at the time uh and this question's for both of you guys because you know everything seemed uh to kind of just come out of nowhere were there ever rumors that this was sean's way of trying to get out of his wwf contract to go to wcw and join his friends i know that there was talk of him Joining WCW, I, I I was under the impression after WrestleMania uh, 14 and the back injury and all that stuff. Uh, but um, around this time, I'm not too familiar with anything going on behind the scenes where he was looking to jump ship and get out. Which, you know, if you think about it, it, you would think it would be crazy that the WWF champion was trying to get out. But then, you know, fast forward about eight or nine months from this pay per view and Montreal 97's coming about and and on we'll eventually get there as well. So, uh, Hellions, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, there were rumors about everyone jumping back then. Like, that was just what the wrestling news sites did at the time. And I remember some of the, the early ones I would go to, and I, I didn't have internet at home yet. I was at college, and I would go and sign online in the morning and see what the latest wrestling rumors for the day were, especially on Mondays. I had to check multiple times. This person's jumping. This person's joining the NWO. This person quit. You can post that stuff all day long and you don't have to back it up at all. And if something happens or if something doesn't happen, you can go, oh, well, they changed their mind. Oh, well, there's a contract thing at the last minute. Like, you don't need to say, I didn't know what I was talking about. I remember watching Shawn Michaels come out, you know, early 97 there, giving up the belt. I would have been 18 at the time. And we saw Bret Hart as champion and how much he was on the road and how many countries he went to and, the, you know, how much he was doing Hogan on the road all the time. There was, you know, all sorts of documentaries and little news pieces and all Ric Flair, of course. So, and also at the time you have people, you know, me, me being 18 at the time of the story or at the time of this event, you have people talking about, you know, you need to find something to do that you love. And, if you, if you find a job that you love, then you never have to, it never feels like work. And if it starts feeling like work, you need to leave and find something else. You know, all the dream repine the sky, you know, ultra positive, uh, whatever. <laughs> but sorry, I couldn't think of the word. Um, so for me at the time, seeing Sean Michaels like that, I was like, huh, maybe it stopped being fun for him. Maybe he's burnt out. Maybe this is really exhausting and taxing on the body because he spent so long as champion and has toured so much and done so much that he's literally just burnt out right now. And is like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I need a break. That's how I viewed it at the time. Is that He's just exhausted because he's been working nonstop as a champion and, and then his build-up to champion. Then later on, you realize Shawn Michaels was not a good person at this time. He just flat out was not. He's better now. Uh, and I think when he said he found Jesus, we all thought it was a joke. But I can't really think of any examples of him really being shady like he was at this time. Like he was not a good person and would screw people over and get people fired and take his ball and go home and you know pull all sorts of stuff that we know now. But Shawn Michaels was 
God for wrestling fans back then. He could do no wrong in a lot of ways. So seeing him come out, I legit just thought, oh, he's injured and he's burnt out. And hopefully he'll be back one day praying for you, Sean. Now I feel like a fool thinking that. Yeah, it's it's fascinating, too, to, to think about how Sean was as a person back then and how they went with him over Brett. Um, even after, you know, Brett, like we said, has that great match at Mania. He's there. Sean's not at Mania. And then Vince decides to go with Sean still, even though Brett has been the loyal guy. Like, it, like, it makes no sense to me, like, logically. It, it's so crazy, too, because if you're talking about who is the best wrestler on the planet at this time, Sean and Brett is going to be your, your two sides of the same coin for people's number one pick there. If someone's number one pick at this time, best wrestler is either going to be Sean or Brett, without a doubt. And the other guys in their top two or three. So it's not like Vince picking Sean over Brett. It's not like Brett would have been a lesser option by any means. It would have been an equally good and valid option. Plus two with all the ties with Brett's family and the Hart Foundation and everyone that's in the company at the time. Like, it literally makes no common sense, but... You know, Vince is a billionaire, so <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's something. Well, I mean, um, you think about the, the various examples that Vince has gone through where he's wanted to pivot from one to another. You know, uh, pivoting from Hogan just before WrestleMania for show for the year and just seeing, you know, what what could come of that. Pivoting from Hogan to Warrior uh, to see what would come of that. I just look at this as it, it was another pivot. Pivot from Brett to Sean. Let's see what Sean's version, what he can do with everything, and let's build the the promotion around Sean. I mean, he's typically uh, he, for this time frame, he's tried to build a promotion around somebody for about a year or so. I mean, if you look at, at it, you know, Diesel had the belt for the year. Uh, they built up Sean for having the title for the year prior to Diesel. Pretty much, it, you know, it was like, you know, Yokozuna was like the main event title holder for almost a, a year or so. You know, it's just, it's the it's the flavor, it's the new flavor of, of this particular decade and trying to see what, what comes of it. Is he going to be the next big Hulk Hogan-esque uh, individual? And I just think that, you know... He, he he didn't want to do the favors and get and get the belt back to to Brett the way that the original plan from my understanding the original plan was so it's just and 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 what Hellion said yeah Shawn Michaels was not a very very nice person not a very good person you know entertaining to the wrestling fan but uh, Michael Hickenbottom the person not a good person in '97 yeah so you know we're greeted of course Jr. and the King. They're our commentary team. It's about time we actually settled on uh, these two and we got to them. Of course, uh, the Attitude Era coming right around the corner. So uh, the voice for an entire generation of wrestling fans is finally being, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, finalized here. Uh, Western Union is the sponsor of the pay-per-view. Of course, uh, do you guys remember when you had to send money orders to uh, to different people, probably college students, anything like that? Did you guys ever have to do that? I've worked places where I've had to do it for other people, and it is still active now. Um, however, it is one of the major uh, fraud and money laundering options. 
in the country right now. It is a well-known way of getting money from place to place and not having to document where that money came from originally. I have, uh, I think I've had to use it once in my life, so I have no idea what's the, like, where do they even do it? Is it just at, like, convenience stores? Like, how do you get a money order? Convenience nowadays? stores, Um, I know the, the post office does money orders. I don't know if they do money transfer, which is what the Western Union is. Um, But, like, pre-internet being the big changer, that you did have situations where you would have to send money quickly like that. You know, oh, hey, I'm in college and something came up. My car broke down. I need, can mom or dad or someone please wire me some money so I can fix this because I have no money right now. Um, if you're traveling and, you know, you lose your wallet or you're robbed or something, these are, are legit ways that you could get money to someone. But honestly, right now, most people would just, you know, go online, call up their bank, give some security questions, you know, have something taken care of quickly. Or just use like Venmo or PayPal or, yeah. or Cash App or something like that. So, um, interesting enough, no in your house set or is the in your house set completely done now um, from these pay per views? Uh, I know, Matt, you were bringing that up the other night, um, just kind of about, I think, when the, uh, the executioner was at the buried alive. Um, no, wasn't buried alive. What was after that? It's time. With uh, Terry Gordy, Taker, and and Foley, uh, fo- I mean they just completely trashed it. Now, is this the superstar set? I mean, it's just the generic basic set. It's so boring looking. Yeah. Well, I think that sums up the card too, <laughs> <laughs> because this card feels like a glorified superstars minus uh, the basically the the main event is the only thing that sets it apart. Um, one thing I did notice too, in the crowd, we're seeing Austin three sixteen shirts. Uh, I think this is the first time I've actually seen them in the crowd. Yeah. It took them a while to make them. Yeah. Of course, Austin three sixteen happening seven, eight months, seven, eight <laughs> months ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, why don't we get into our first match? Uh, it's Sable, uh, accompanying, uh, just the wild man is what he's built as, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting, uh, versus Leaf Cassidy, who's already in the ring after no entrance whatsoever on the pay-per-view. Um, what did you guys think of this? Uh, just kind of a, what a way to start us off. Uh, I, I don't know if it was just weird editing cuts on the network or whatnot. There were a couple of entrances that were essentially, we just cut right back to the ring and all of a sudden, all oh, the competitors in the ring, uh, or they're, they're, they're just standing in the ring and their entrance music's playing. Um, for this particular match, um, it would be interesting to see, I guess, what was the direction they were planning on going with the uh, Mark Merrow character and Sable, because we're starting to see Sable with some heelish tendencies, getting involved in the match, kicking, uh, kicking and being a uh, kicking Leaf Cassidy, being a distraction to Leaf Cassidy. And as a result, you know, at one point, Mark Merrill kind of like flips out and dives through the ropes because Leaf Cassidy grabs Sable after she slapped uh, Cassie in the middle of the match. Um, we've got Sable wearing uh, the black latex bodysuitish kind of deal, but now she's suddenly wearing sunglasses. Um, at one point in the match, right in front of the referee, while Leaf Cassidy is working on Marrow's legs in the corner, um, she decides to like give Leaf Cassidy a kick with her high heel boot, 
right in front of the referee and like the referee didn't even like admonish her or warn her or anything like that like why wouldn't have that been a disqualification um at one point uh the king made a, a comment about you know if, if sable puts her hands on leave cassidy again she's going to be need to be wearing those sunglasses that she's got on because she'll have to hide her two black eyes i just thought that was just a weird comment an awkward comment um a little bit of storytelling going on in the match in that leaf cassidy spent a lot of time working on marrow's legs uh taking his legs out from under him doing leg laces he did a leg drop onto his legs he did the figure four leg lock onto mark marrow um we're seeing a lot of heelish tendencies from sable um, when Mark Merrow was in the figure four leg lock, Sable grabbed the bottom rope and pushed the bottom rope closer to Merrow so that Merrow could grab the rope in order to force a, a referee break of that uh, leg lock maneuver. Um, towards the end of the match, we see, again, Sable acting as a distraction to leave Cassidy. She gets a pretty good wind-up slap of Cassidy. Cassidy gets mad, and as Sable tries to run away, he ends up grabbing her by the wrist. And that kind of sets Merrow off, and he flips out and dives through the ropes uh, to the outside of the ring. That's kind of like a crossbody on the leaf. Cassidy throws Cassidy back in, and then what seemed to take like a forever sequence, and maybe it was just because he was still selling the leg that was, you know, hindering his movement. We got a kind of a weak Samoan drop into that wild thing, uh, you know, shooting star press off the top rope for a one, two, three finish. Um, so it appears we're looking at a new direction for Sable and then perhaps eventually the Mark Merrow character. Uh, but everything got cut short because within a couple of weeks, he ends up blowing out his ACL. And this is the last pay-per-view that we see for Mark Merrow on TV for probably six to seven months uh, until he returns and is doing that kind of uh, pseudo boxer gimmick. Hallians, what, were you, what was your thoughts on everything? Overall, I thought it it was a good match. I actually really enjoyed the match. Um, Leaf Casty slash Al Snow has always been a good worker. Um, frequently, he's his own biggest fan and will do interviews um, against any style of wrestling other than what he's doing. So I think sometimes he needs to lighten up a little bit. But just going by what was in this match... I enjoyed it. I actually really enjoyed this match. I was surprised by both men. I was surprised by the work going in. Mero was more aggressive all throughout the match. where And, and Leaf being the heel, he shouldn't have been. But the, that changing up style that he was doing, I feel like Sable had the glasses on because her her plastic surgeries had started. And, uh, what you know, whatever she got done that you know, her eyes or her nose or something was looking a little bruised or puffy or whatever, so they had to wear the glasses to cover it up. The way that she's... The heel work that she's doing, I really felt, and maybe I'm giving too much credit to the planning or the writing team or whatever at the time, I felt like she was going for a I help my man win matches. I Like, that she herself, when it thinks she's a heel, it's like, well, why am I out here other than to help him win? So I will do what it takes to help him win. That's not being a bad guy. That's being a manager. And I think that would be like her justification of it. Um, we were talking off air a little bit about it. But God, this crowd is dead. 
like I noticed it right away in this match. This is just a dead, dead crowd. And and to see some of the stuff going on in wrestling at the time, I think that one of the problems of the crossover appeal during the Monday Night Wars and the, the Nitro parties and, you know, it's so big on college campuses and stuff like that, is you had so many people coming to go to a show that weren't wrestling fans. It was just the thing to go to. Oh, hey, wrestling's in town tonight. You want to go? Yeah, sure, I guess. Not doing anything else tonight. But they don't actually care about anything going on in the show. And there's a lot of Nitros and WCW pay-per-views where you see that horribly so. But that that's really like there's so much disinterest in the crowd for most of the show that it takes a lot out of the show. I'd, I'd, I've seen more energy from the no fans era that we're currently in than from this crowd. A couple things, too, that kind of stuck out. Uh, I know we're talking about how Sable has been doing the heel tendencies. Um, when she slaps Leaf, Cassidy, how is that not a DQ? Did the ref see it? I, he was no, right there. I thought yeah, the ref, I thought was, the ref like, again was right there. I, I, because I don't it's from a woman? Yeah. Maybe? Who knows? I just thought it was just kind of one of those things where they're, they just kind of were like, whatever. I thought a, a lot of the through the night, like the refereeing was so inconsistent. The referee for this match, Mike Kyoto, who has become a veteran to WWE, just you know recently released as a part of the talent cuts. Um, but there, some of the refereeing from Jack Doan later in the night was so inconsistent. Uh, I mean, the only one that was really on was Earl Hebner later on in the night. So, um, and then also too during the Wild Man's entrance, it, it, I thought the Western Union blimp was going to catch on fire <laughs> because of the sparklers. It looked like it was on fire. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Um, so following that up, uh, we get a honky tonk man uh, entrance and then they throw to a Thursday raw Thursday where they, I believe play pretty much the entire Sean Michaels loses his smile speech. Uh, from Thursday Raw Thursday, I thought it was interesting to know that Sean uh, Sh- Sean Michaels got one vote for president. <laughs> one vote in not in an election year. So you got me thirty five run for president. I wonder if he was thirty five at this point. I'm guessing no. Yeah, I would think no. I'm sorry. When when did that Raw take place? What day of the week? Uh, th- Thursday Raw Thursday. Oh, okay. Why do you ask? I, that bothered me in 97, and to this day, I don't understand why it's called Thursday Raw Thursday. And I feel like at some point during that episode, it was called Thursday Raw Thursday Live. Like, it's just such a, a weird a, a weird thing to call it, to repeat what day it's on. I know it's usually on Monday Night Raw, but it's not usually called Monday Raw Monday. Was this was this because of the dog show going on? That's That'd be my guess. You're, usually the dog show, from what I remember, was like either late August or early September. For some reason, I remember it being right around when school would be starting, the, when the, you got the two-week preemption and so on. Yeah, and USA doesn't do a lot of like live sports or anything, because like, TBS would bump stuff for Atlanta Braves all the time. But USA doesn't really have a whole lot like that. Um, now, I, I would say it's ridiculous to repeat Thursday Raw Thursday say how dumb do you think your audience is but gentlemen i had an interesting interaction this week okay i sold a vhs on ebay and in the listing it says this movie vhs 
in the description, VHS. In the drop-down menu, just like what type of media, VHS. I got negative feedback. You should really make it clear this isn't a DVD. <laughs> so, wow. I'm, not, I'm not sure how many places I could have put in that. So maybe this type of mentality is why it's called Thursday Raw Thursday. Yeah, yeah, I just... I'm not sure why. Um, Following that up, we get Sid with Kevin Kelly. Of course, Sid is taking on the winner of the final four match on Raw the next night. Um, uh, One question I have to ask you guys is, what was Honky Tonk Man doing during this? Was he just warming up the crowd? I think it had to be warming up the crowd. I mean, because if you look at the set of results, I mean, there's only six matches on the entire card. There wasn't even... There, there was, I don't know if there was a full free-for-all match or not, but there definitely was a dark match at the start. It was a tag match between uh, the newly uh, debuted Headbangers and uh, the Godwins. And then it was just the five matches of the car. There was no like post-show. This is still a two-hour Raw. And on um, the feed itself, I think it was cut down to an hour and like 43, hour and 44 minutes. So really wasn't a lot of content uh it just we're quickly stumbling through like small little segments here between the hockey talk man being there the recap video then they even show now now i just want to point out we don't even see the honky talk man on tv they announce that he's there they play his music and then they go to thursday around thursday video uh i think there's a quick clip of him getting into the ring because he's got the uh the elvis jumpsuit on and whatnot, but but there's like nothing. There's like he's not doing an interview. He's not promoting. And this was right around the time Hellions helped me out. He was getting ready for the rockabilly gimmick, I believe, and looking yep. for his next protege to take over his gimmick kind of deal. Yep, because uh, Jesse James Road Dog is back. Uh, he's just as Double J Jesse James right now, but he was in the Rumble the previous month, and we're real close to. Rockabilly and then Rockabilly and Jesse James feuding, then New Age Outlaws. We are super close to that happening. So I think it was just Honky going out there and, you know, I'm, I'm looking for the next great champion that I'm going to manage and all. Um, I mean, does it being in Tennessee, is that reason enough for him to be out there for a pop? I mean, he is Lawler's cousin, so maybe he was getting, you know, a favor. But I mean, Honky was brought in for like three or four months at this time. You know, so. Yeah, so maybe just a promo in front of the live audience. I'm searching for the next champion. Who could it right. be? You know, run off some names. Maybe point to people in the crowd. Could it be you? You know, something silly like that. Honestly, if he went out there and cut a promo and said, I'm looking for the next champion and starts insulting the crowd and doing some heel work, maybe that'd get that this dead crowd livened up a bit. Yeah, well, you know what? I think the next match is going to get the crowd, you know, a little alive because uh, coming out is uh, Flash Funk uh, with the Funkettes. Of course, the announcers lay out, watch the whole Funkettes dancing, everything going on. Um, and he is taking on Bart Gunn. No, no, he's not taking on Bart Gunn. Okay, so Bart Gunn comes out. They're going to team up and they're going to take on Goldust comes out with Marlena. No, wait a minute. Goldust is actually on their team. Um, oh, they're taking on the Nation of Domination. So uh, we get Funky Gold Gun versus the Nation of Domination, uh, which is Farouk, Savio Vega, and Crush. Uh, has there ever been a more random three-man tag team than Funky Gold Gun? 
let's just put some random guys on a card to give them something to do to get them their, you know, per diem kind of deal. Uh, Flash Funk, he looked miserable during his entrance. Like, he had no desire to be there. He It wasn't even hardly into, like, doing the moves and the choreography whatsoever. Um, it just kind of looked, you know, depressing. Uh, Bart Gunn and Goldust coming down. It's just such an odd combination of three random, let's just throw you know, three random guys together so that they're essentially going to be jobber fodder to the Nation of Domination. And unfortunately, the the Nation of Domination, this combination of the three, it wasn't a great combination uh, of talent working together. I mean, individually, yeah, but as a cohesive group and then, then all the extra... Uh, of the entourage. I mean, the only thing that really stood out as a, a spectacle to me was a very, very young D'Lo Brown being in the group and getting a little bit of camera time between walking through the crowd and then being shown on camera and a, and a close-up when uh, they were doing their whole fist bump salute. So, Yeah, I did like that entrance um, for the Nation of Domination coming down the different aisles. That was really cool. Um, visual. Uh, but yeah, this match, the, 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 you know, flash funk, bark gun, gold dust, funky gold gun, as I like to call them. Uh, what a cluster of, of just, whoa, whoa. I mean, in all honesty, whoa, whoa, treats. What? This is a PG network, not PG. Have you never had They're a the... milk chocolatey cluster on your way home from work? <laughs> With my car, seriously. If, if don't worry, I'll bleep go... it out. I'll bleep it out. If we wanted to go PG-13 with our language, we would have had them uh, wrap us down to the ring. And, uh, talk about how they're going to bum-rush our mothers. Because Farouk did you, is did, bad. Did you catch King saying PG-13 from a bad neighborhood? Ugh. Which, considering who, considering who they are, is hysterical. What did you What did you think of this match, Aliens? One, for name, I would have gone with the Flash with the Golden Gun. Or maybe the funk with the golden gun. I understand all three of them had matches against nation members on superstars or raw or whatever it was. Okay, that's fine. It still doesn't make a team. Goldust weird babyface run here I forgot about. But to from the heights he was at to this, I gotta imagine there was just so much pressure on the character that they had to tone it down for a bit my best guess for why you would do it um it's i feel bad for everyone involved <laughs> like bart gunn was not a bad wrestler he just you know never really caught on but he wasn't bad you know like he, he could have done more than this flash funk is too cold scorpio is fantastic that is not who he was in wwf at all he comes out with the funkettes and they got like two feet of room to dance and do their stuff I don't think he was frustrated with, with the match or his position. I think he's like, what do you expect us to do in this amount of space here? Like right. we're either dancing in a closet. I'm all for a three-man team or, or a faction or whatever, getting a squash victory. But do that on superstars against like Iron Mike Sharp, Barry Horowitz, and I don't know, Dwayne Gill. Like just throw three random nobodies. Because that's what this ends up looking like. And, and Goldust, thankfully, didn't get dragged down with Flash and Bart Gunn because he, it, him at this level, he could have been forgotten real fast. Right. You know, if they, uh, something that, that happens later on in the card, if that feud didn't happen, he may have been forgotten about. 
and he may have you know been seen as a a mistake character flash in the pan uh, oh do you remember when they did this i still don't understand the the makeup of the nation and who's in there at all i still feel bad for farouk having like he he's just nowhere near ron simmons of nwa right nor was he ever in his wwf career no. Now, I forgot about Jailbird Crush. I did, too. I was going to bring that up with uh, totally JR forgot. referring to him as a jailbird. And that has to, I would imagine, be due to his arrest in Hawaii with uh, uh, steroids, right? Yeah, because he was suspended. This is post uh, his Macho Man feud when he was Evil Crush. Right, and then he was around for a bit, disappeared on nowhere, and then came back as this like prisoner with the tattoo and all gimmick. Right, and really was not the same force that he was. Kona Crush, and then that heel Crush looked like someone that was going to win titles. This this Crush comes in and somehow looks smaller. He looks shorter. I don't know how, but he does. Right, he just doesn't look like a powerhouse. I would say he didn't look strong again until he was in chronic. Right. And I'm, and, and then never again after that. Right. As NWO Brian Adams or anything. Right. Uh, finish of the match. Bart Gunn finally gets a hot tag, I guess, to lead into the finish. You got Farouk, uh, got setting up for his dominator, uh, which is kind of like picking up the guy for the power bomb, but then kind of flip flopping him back over onto their face. Kind of like a power bomb on their stomach kind of deal. Uh, but Bart Gunn kind of slips out of the uh, pickup attempt and then, for whatever reason, climbs the top rope to hit a bulldog. Does hit the bulldog on Farouk, and it was pretty impressive. Uh, and then goes for the pin, and then Crush slips into the ring, and in front of the ref, uh, does a very weak-looking leg drop on the back of Bart Gunn's head and then proceeds to roll Farouk over on top of Bart while, again, referee Jack Doan is just kind of almost sitting there watching the entire thing, and then he drops down for the pin, one, two, three. So it for what it is, it is what it is, trying to get Farouk to recover from uh, the, uh, the match that he had with Ahmed at uh, Royal Rumble. And eventually, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to see the build towards WrestleMania and uh, the match with Ahmed and the Legion of Doom. Yeah, just an ugly, ugly finish. I mean, did not look good at all. No. Um, so let's follow that up with uh, Stone Cold getting interviewed by Doc Hendricks. What did you guys think of this just kind of a little short stinger here? I mean, they really made Stone Cold out to be that badass in this. Trying it, you know, laying his couple of lines in there to sell it, you know, why he's going to win the match. You know, he had won the uh, uh, the Royal Rumble match. There's no such thing as instant replay. He should be the rightful uh, challenger to the title, and he's going to go and, and do his business. And uh, no matter what, he's going to come out on top. There is no way with Shawn Michaels just giving up the title on Thursday Raw Thursday that they knew what they were about to do with Austin and the double turn at Mania. There's no way at the time of the show they knew they are going to turn Austin face and Brett heel. So it feels like they're still trying to make him seem hated, even though he is so ridiculously over already as a heel. And they're just tr- they're trying not to let that happen, and it's out of their control. 
crowd loves him. And then we um, let's go into the. I think the most forgotten Triple H versus Rocky Maivia match for the IC title. Um, when I saw this on the card, I said, oh, this will be interesting to kind of watch and see how, one, they both progress. Um, what did you guys think of this? I mean, how green was The Rock at this point? Uh, not only green, but uninteresting, at least the crowd. Absolutely dead. Even as Howard Finkel is on the microphone trying to put over and introducing the new World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Champion, it's like practically on silence. Like his entrance music, you probably could have like recorded it and got CD quality from the TV because people were just not responding, not reacting at all. Um, Triple H is doing the best that he can with the match. Uh, still with a very, I mean, this is rookie Rocky Maivia. We're not even at WrestleMania. So within six months, he, he's, you know, won the Intercontinental title since his Survivor Series debut. Um, I was impressed with the running high knee that Triple H is known for that he hit on Rocky as Rocky was running the ropes back and forth, ducking clothesline attempts and so on. Um, Rocky hit a very impressive high cross body off the top rope, but again, to pretty much zero crowd response, but just a very big, thick, agile guy diving off the top rope that Rocky was at the beginning of his run, um, just uh, for a two and a half count. Um, One of the most uh, common components to Rocky's moveset was that float over DDT where he kind of like does that reversible DDT and he was still in the process of trying to develop it. And man, did he stick Hunter with it and that he slipped off and Hunter still tried to follow over with it and pretty much spiked himself into the point where the ref actually checked up on Hunter to make sure that, you know, Hunter spiking himself wasn't actually injured. Um, you got your gold dust distraction. I guess they're still trying to continue on that feud from when Hunter was Intercontinental Champion and beginning to feud with uh, Gold Dust and the whole Marlena. And we discussed that uh, from the It's Time pay per view. So he got Gold Dust serving as an outside distraction for Rock to hit kind of a sideways belly to back suplex with the bridge for the 1 2 3 victory. Um, Again, not really much of a crowd reaction, not much of a crowd response. The crowd was more interested for uh, the Hall of Famer that eventually debuted after the conclusion of this match where we finally got to see uh, a replacement to Mr. Perfect. We get introduced to what will become the China character. Agree with you guys. When I saw it, I'm like, well, this will be interesting to see them younger and starting out and at this mid-card level. Um, and my favorite thing from Rocky Maivia at this time, his open calf boots, where he's got the back cut out so his calves can show, and that's not full wrestling boots. Never understood it, remember it to this day. I remember watching Raw at home when I was younger, and my mom saying, does he have a hole in his boots? It's like, yes, he does. Don't know why. But yes, he always he did double on leg day, man. I think, I think it was because at the time when he was getting the boots, he only had seven bucks in his pocket. Isn't I thought it was called Eight Bucks Production Company. Yeah. I think it's Young Bucks Production. <laughs> Rock with just as much hair as the two of them too. Rock has the basics. He has a, a, your your Tom Pritchard taught basics for this match, but that's it. And he cannot think outside of those basics. 
like you you know you you talk about how some people when they're wrestling for years just get a flow for it and a zen and they just know what to do and all and it comes so natural to them he is nowhere near that yeah like he's probably counting steps in his mind he's probably saying okay now i do this like I, i'm sure he's just struggling in it hunter is definitely calling the match and doing a pretty good job of it though right like he's absolutely you know he's he's out of his his years long punishment after the curtain call you know there's a there's a lot of bad years of hogpen matches and all for him but he's showing what a worker he is a ring general someone you can rely on someone that can make someone brand new looking good like he's he's earning his keep here he's looking good there um the best chemistry in the match is not between Rocky Maivia and Hunter Helmsley. I would say the best chemistry of the match is Earl Hepner and Hunter Helmsley. And Earl constantly catching his cheating attempts. Those two were fantastic. Without a doubt. Like, I don't know if it's because Earl's such a veteran and Triple H absolutely has a more old school style and etiquette and respect to him if they got along well. But... I, I, there were times where it's like Rocky wasn't even in the match and it's just the two of them putting on the show. You, you, you look at Rocky and who he became and how hated this Uber babyface was at the time, but he's not wrestling like anyone else on the card. He's wrestling like a guy five, 10, 15 years previously. Like he's a man out of time in this. It's, it's a 20 something year old doing Bob Backlund's gimmick. Really? And, uh, you know, like, of course it's not working. I, I don't know how they thought it would work. Uh, Gold is running out. I had completely forgotten what's about to happen until Gold does and Marlena were there. I had completely forgotten all about it. You see the fans point. The camera does not get it well at first. The replay gets a lot better of China just reaching her arms out and pulling Marlena back and grabbing her. Jeez. They pulled off that it looks like a fan, that we have to address this, that we have to show what just happened. No one should do that again. She's been taken out of the arena. But you look at her, though, and you're like, who is this? And, like, Educator and I, are at this point, we're on internet. We're looking at wrestling magazines. We're borrowing tapes. And the fact that no one knew who this woman is. No clue. You're like... Yeah, oh, it's so-and-so from NWA, or it's so-and-so from this, you know, small promotion, or Canada, or Japan, or Mexico. Like, you can figure out who it is. Nothing. This was one of the biggest shocks ever in wrestling, honestly. Who is this woman? She's huge. Where did she come from out of nowhere? Like, what a, what a brilliant find. And I like the fact that they had, they didn't have like agents coming down and breaking them up. It looked like it was like legit security from the building who were trying to yank her off of Marlena and then drag her out of the building itself. So really selling it to the fan that it was a fan that, you know, had attacked Marlena. So, yeah, same thing too, with the first camera angle, not getting it all as well. You know, if they would have had that first camera angle, have it a perfect shot of it, or if they would have cut right to it, I mean, you would be able to tell that it was so so staged and planned. Um, you know, I always find it funny when they go, 
you know, nowadays we're going to do a no holds barred match or, or a false count anywhere match. And they go up to the concourse and just so happens they have a, uh, a camera ready for, for them up the certain stairs, you know, to fight by the dipping dots or to fight by, you know, wherever the uh, hot dog cart is. So, you know, that kind of surprise um, element of not getting the camera angle right on the first time um, really does add to the spontaneity of the of the um, of the debut. Uh, question though for china's debut when she first came out it was you know is this a man or a woman what a freak she is look at the you know and and so many terrible comments made about her appearance and yes she get had plastic surgery later on and all but looking at her during this rewatch i didn't see that is it because i'm used to her or is it because of how she changed wrestling so you could have a stronger more athletic bigger build Charlotte Flair, um, Karma slash Awesome Kong, uh, Gonzalez, who we just saw on NXT Takeover. Like there are more bigger build women in wrestling now than there were at the time, which was zero. Like, is it just because you know there's been so many since her? Is it because we're not surprised? <laughs> like, I thought she just she came out. She looked awesome. Like, I'm excited to see more of her you know, for in your house and other things as we revisit. I, I think it was just the timing of it. I mean, the mid nineties, um, you know, uh, muscular or, or athletically, you know, fit women wasn't the in style. Right. So when you see someone that's out of your norm, then that's when you start one making fun of, um, but, but just imagine this though, just imagine the kind of ridicule she would have gotten, if social media existed. Oh, absolutely. Then. Oh, absolutely. awful. Awful. She wouldn't have been given a chance. But it would have made for a great meme when it would have said me and it's Marlena, you know, like, oh, this is me. And then 2020 is China choking <laughs> me out. True. Verbal meme. True. Are you <laughs> so, going to make that for this episode? I should. We should. We should. <laughs> we'll tweet it out. Like, you're right, though. Social media in some ways is fantastic. I love that we have fans that we communicate on there. I love that we have interaction. I love the stuff that we find and discover through there. But it's also some of the worst hate and trolls and cesspool and garbage in the world. I've always said internet and social media needs an editor. It needs someone that reads everything, goes, nope, that's garbage, throws it out. It's never going to happen. But And that's why I think that's why one third of the podcast stays off social media. So Exactly <laughs> it, man. <laughs> He's the smartest among us. That's why he's the educator. That's right, baby. Um, so uh, after that, we get Kevin Kelly uh, talking with Vader and Paul Bearer uh, in the back. Of course, they kind of visit every uh, person that is in the Final Four uh, match. What did you guys uh, think of uh, of this little stinger? Vader doing his Mastodon promo, talking about how he, you know, he's going to take everybody out and he's going to emerge victorious and... Um, man, his role in that match later on in the night, kind of, uh, pretty, uh, ominous foreshadowing, uh, but you know, did what he did, what he wanted to do to get his point across. And then the, the, the weird comp pairing and combination with Paul bearer. Now all of a sudden he's got both mankind and Vader who have, you know, pretty much wreaked havoc with the undertaker. And now, uh, Vader is the new foil for the undertaker in order for, Paul Bearer to get his comeuppance over the dead man. It's so weird seeing Paul Bearer with Vader. I know what happened. 
you know, I, I remember him bear turning on Undertaker and joining Mankind, but it's really out of place during the final four match. Like with Undertaker in there, if Mankind was in there, I would say, oh, right, this is time that Bear was with Mankind. With Vader, it was for such a short period of time. I'm like, why is Paul Bear out there? Why is, why is he out there with Undertaker? Why did he under? Oh, right, he's with Vader. Like, it's such a forgotten part of it. But Cornette is just gone. Our, our former in-your-house MVP is gone now. Clarence Mason out there with Cornette's former charges. You know, and Bear out there with Vader. I, I honestly miss him. I, I miss Corny. Did you ever think in your life you would say that, Kevin? Never. Never. Maybe after watching Night of the Skywalkers. Um, after that, we get a, a Doug Furness and Phil LaFon taking on Owen Hart and the British Bulldog uh, for the tag team titles. Of course, um, you know, Owen and Bulldog flanked by Clarence Mason, who was also part of of uh, the uh, Nation of Domination at the time. Uh, how was that dynamic? Do you guys remember that? Um, I know Owen at one point joins the Nation. Um, and is that after, uh, of course, during the match, they teased the split between Owen and Bulldog. Is that just right after this? Or um, it, what are we missing? Is it a long oh, time? Owen later? and the Nation is like 98. So this is like a year and a half away. This is post-Heart Foundation. This is post Brett leaving and so on. And uh, this is, yeah, so uh, this is a long time. Clarence Mason was will be gone by then. Um, and it's the Rocks Nation at this point that eventually Owen eventually joins as a foil to uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley's version of Degeneration X, which hasn't even formed yet. Uh, so what did, you guys, what did you guys think of this match? Uh, going into it, I uh, had some high hopes for it. I had high hopes for it. Unfortunately, uh, my two biggest frustrations uh, was the terrible referee. Uh, at least the things that were, you know, not being acknowledged or just slipping through from Jack Doan. Um, there was one point in the match where the Bulldog steps three quarters of the way into the ring, so his foot is just da- is dangling on the outside of the ring. So he's three quarters of the way in, and then he reaches over and tags Owen right in front of the referee and that's apparently uh, the legal tag in the ring i thought his cadence on counts jack Doan's cadence on counts was like ridiculously super fast compared to what we just saw with earl hebner and the uh the cadence for the count uh for the rock and triple h's match um it was painful for me to watch philip lafon try to run the ropes uh his knees were so wrapped up he couldn't even move. It was barely limping, stumbling, walking uh, throughout the match. Unfortunately, this was not the same Doug Furness and Dan Crawford, who he was known as in Japan, All Japan Wrestling, uh, the uh, Canadian-American team uh, that just absolutely wreaked havoc and were All Japan Wrestling Tag Team Champions multiple times over. Um, I, I thought it was great in that the WWF was trying to slowly rebuild the tag team division. I mean, we had talked earlier uh, a few podcasts back that the tag division prior to Owen and the Bulldog winning the championships, you know, was just the smoking guns, the Godwins, uh, the what was left of um, 
Candido skip and zip the body Donis and the new rockers. And since then, you know, the rocker, the new rockers had split Janetti's gone and we got Leaf Cassidy doing his singles run. Uh, body Donis are now gone. And Tom Pritchard who played the zip character is now essentially a trainer for WWE and has been working a lot with, uh, and, uh, Rocky Maivia trying to get their talents over. So we still have the Godwins, but we're slowly trying to bring in some additional teams. We saw the Headbangers debut. Now we have Doug Furness and Phil LaFon. Um, this particular match, I just the pacing of the match. I, I, I mean, I appreciate the storytelling that was going on and trying to fuel that uh, the frustration and the animosity that Bull, uh, Bulldog has over Owen and his sniveling healing tendencies and so on. I thought it was great at one point in the match, Owen and Bulldog, they got into like a shoving match back and forth and Owen slapped Bulldog and Bulldog hit the ropes and just hit him with a freaking clothesline and just dropped him. And then Lafon goes for the pin, but then Bulldog breaks up the pin because he doesn't want to lose his tag team titles. Um, Owen Hart hits a very, very stiff-looking Enziguri. Oh, man. Just, Owen Hart is just such a, a pleasure to watch in the ring. Such a fantastic performer. He hits what appears to be a very, very stiff Enziguri uh, to uh, uh, Lafon, or I'm sorry, to Doug Furness during the match. Uh, and uh, goes for a quick count, but unfortunately it was broken up by Lafon. Uh, Lafon tagged back in, and... Um, we see Bulldog picking up LaFon to do the running power slam, but in the process, Owen gets very frustrated and proceeds to hit LaFon with the slammy while he's on top of Bulldog's shoulders. So Bulldog doesn't really see it, see the actual uh, DQ happening, gives the running power slam, goes for the pin, and thinks he's won the match based on a, a pinfall that doesn't happen. But then they continue to tease back and forth that Bulldog and Owen are going to break up. The funniest part I thought was when Bulldog was mad and he picked up Owen's slammy and he threw it down and the slammy broke in half. It like broke off of the base. Like Owen looked legitimately angry afterwards after they finally reconciled. He picked up the pieces of his slam and he's like, come on. He's telling a Bulldog. Um, the match is what it was, but I think they were, you could see that they were, Going to eventually tease the breakup of Bulldog and Owen, but then all of a sudden the changes with uh, Michaels dropping the title uh, and then them having to do a, a reset with Bret Hart eventually turning heel. Um, I, I think they just had to basically almost cancel this storyline in order to get something new and eventually get ready for, to build that faction of the Hart Foundation. Well, weren't they still feuding when Brett came out and united them? And oh, them yeah, they were still going back and forth, and that was kind of like the end. I really think they were going to go a lot more with it and do another basically like smoking guns, full, full-on full breakup. But I think, um, you know, the, the I, I feel that the storyline probably changed when they had to go to a new direction with what was going to happen with WrestleMania because that was only a couple of weeks after WrestleMania. Yeah, you brought you you know reunited them and started to to get that uh, heart foundation faction together. I remember Furnace and Lafon showing up in ECW and immediately looking like the best tag team in the country. And whether that's their opponents making them look good, Paul Heyman's booking, I don't know what, 
But when they showed up, I was like, wow, where have these guys been? This is incredible. What a great tag team. And when WWF scooped them up right away, I was like, awesome. They're going to show their talents in WWF and have great matches with Owen Bulldog and other teams. And they'll have a tag title run for sure. And they're going to be stars. And none of that happened. (laughs) Nowhere near any of that. It's a shame because a match like this, which could have been great and could have been a showcase. And with two great people to work with and Owen and Bulldog. On paper, for what I thought, you know, of all four men at this time, and I, I know, like you said, Lafon's knees are bad, but there was still some good work that could have been done. I had so much excitement for this match. I thought it could have been one of the best tag matches I've seen, and none of it matters because it's all about the Owen and Bulldog feud story. That's the entire focus of this match. The wrestling does not matter at all. I didn't even bother writing down, like, any move or any cool spot, or anything I enjoyed, because it becomes obvious it's just about Owen and Bulldog, and you guys are just here, and it could have been two, any other two people. could have been Flash Funk and Bart Gunn on the other side of the ring. Wouldn't have mattered. Point of the match is over here. And you're right about the slammy, and it's sad, because to go back to our bonus episode, must the British Bulldog break everything that he holds? (laughs) (laughs) The, the, the Sanzibar trophy, whatever the, that thing was called. That Russian tea kettle. <laughs> slamming stuff right down on it. Poor Owen. He was only a one-time Slammy Award winner at the time, wasn't he? That's right. Do you guys think that anyone ever made a drinking game out of this match where you take a shot anytime there's a pin attempt? There's so many pin attempts. And they're lightning fast counts too, which is crazy. Like he would admonish Bulldog, get Bulldog out of the ring, and then Jack Doan would run to the other side and get Lafon out of the ring and then would dive down one, two. And it was like almost it was ridiculous how fast his cadence was. Yeah, and I thought too, they put in a lot of a lot of work and then it was all for that finish. <laughs> I mean that what a just a just a cop What, what do you think the pin attempt record is? Like maybe like a RVD Jerry Lynn match where they would have those sequences for like half the match? Well, that depends. I would imagine like an Iron Man match has it just because it would go so long, but but who knows? Probably an Iron Man match would be a better drinking match too, spread it out a little bit. Yeah. Um after that, uh, we get Doc Hendricks talking with The Undertaker. Uh, what did you guys think of this one? Undertaker has just recently refound his edge. I don't know if he knew where he lost it, but he thinks he's refound, uh, found it again. And it closes his interview with the whole darkening of the environment. So he's getting his mojo back, and he's going to be using that to help him recapture the World Wrestling Federation Championship. Undertaker finding his edge It's like the old uh, How did you find the steak well, I moved the mashed potatoes And the, there they are Like Undertaker moved Shawn Michaels smile Which was also lost and found his edge Also like weird different look for Undertaker With the, the sleeveless button up shirt And uh, did he have the The teardrop tattoo going on here too Or something I, mean, I don't know, was it a full tattoo that he had, or was it just, you know, kind of paint that he was drawing I on? I think it was just paint. paint. I think it was I'm just paint. positive. Yeah. But just a weird, uh, like, changed up look. But he didn't even come out with uh, the trench coat, did he? Or no. Or the hat or anything, yeah. No, 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 it was just a different, just a, cha- a little subtle change. It just little things, just to freshen up the gimmick. 
And that's what he would do throughout his career, pretty much, until he did the American Badass 3, you know, 180 change. So um, then we actually go back to the announce team and we we, we talk to uh, the king, who is actually the one flying the Western Union blimp. But wait a minute, guys. Did you know that it's not a blimp? Is it a Zeppelin? It is a airship, oh. in the words of Jerry the King Lawler. A Western Union uh, airship is what he's flying. Um, and then we're, we're pretty much just getting to our main event, the Final Four match, uh, with uh, Vader coming out with Paul Bearer. We got Stone Cold Steve Austin. Then The Undertaker. We do get a quick Kevin Kelly with Bret Hart um, little interview. And then we go to our... Uh, main event now i did write down the rules of the main event because i just thought it was you know not remembering everything i just thought it was a regular four-way dance or four-way match whatever you want to call it but no there's there's some interesting rules and concepts and i'm surprised that they've never really brought this back because i kind of like the concept of it i think it's kind of interesting um so let me just go through the the rules really quick and then i'll pass it to you guys uh and we'll see uh what you guys thought of this main event um so of course the match starts when all four guys are in the ring uh there is no count outs nor dqs um and it's an elimination match so any participant can be eliminated by being thrown over the top rope by pinfall or submission and, uh, of course, the last man standing wins the match. Uh, educator, I know you, you uh, before we even started, said, let's make some room in the top five for this match for our all-time all time in your house ranking. So, did the match live up to the hype? It certainly might make the list. I guess we'll see what you guys' thoughts are at it. Um, we do get, I mean, throughout the night, we've got the interviews for the four combatants. And after the first three were introduced to the ring, we cut back to Kevin Kelly and Bret Hart kind of pretty much does like, I'm almost back to his face promo. We discussed at the last, uh, at the, it's time. It is almost as if he did a heel promo right before going to his match. Very mad, frustrated about Shawn Michaels music playing, uh, in this promo, he's, you know, he said he had respect for all three combatants and how tough they are. Um, but in the end, may the best man win, that best man being me. I don't know if it was an awkward cut or, you know, with the how everything was just spliced together. Um, did you guys notice that Gorilla Monsoon was in the ring at the beginning of before the first combatant, before yeah. I think it was what, Vader come being brought down to the ring? He was there in the ring holding the championship. Well, I don't know what his purpose was other than that uh, for being there. Um, at first, I was under the impression I, w- I felt bad it was only Earl Hebner as the referee, but they did have a second referee, which made sense because you're always going to have the guys kind of pairing up uh, with each other. So you got one guy or you know one ref with one pair of guys while another ref's kind of outside of the ring. It was almost as if Hebner was responsible for just the pinfall submission component, and then Mike Kyoto, who was the second ref at ringside, was also paying attention to the -the over-the-top rope rule and onto the floor. What I liked about this match is the fact that there really wasn't too much dead time in that, like, there were always the the guys were paired together, 
and they would do and they would work with each other for a few minutes and then they would just do a very smooth transition where they would swap out and then you'd get a new combination and like everybody worked with everybody you had austin working with vader you had austin working with undertaker you had austin working with brett in the match you had taker working with brett in the match taker working with vader and there was just very smooth transitions going back and forth throughout the match um one of the things that I noticed, and help me out if you guys remember, uh, this is right about the time where uh, it's one of Austin, I feel, one of his last appearances uh, where he doesn't have his knee brace. He had his legs, both of them wrapped, uh, but you could see him begin to visibly limp, that left leg in particular. Um, you know, he's known for wearing his black gear and his black knee pads, but behind those black knee pads, the first wrap that was, you know, actually touching his skin, it was more of a blue wrap and a blue brace. And you can see it was a little bit larger on his left leg, more visible uh, to the viewer as opposed to the right leg. Um, all of a sudden, apparently, the crowd decided to wake up and they realized that they were at a WWF pay-per-view and they were at the main event. The crowd was actually decently hot during this match. Certainly not as hot as uh, International Incident and that six-man tag that we talked about uh, a few shows back. But, you know, the crowd was finally starting to get into this. Um, Undertaker's kick chair shot to Vader's face. Oh, that was so stiff. And that was a legit injury to Vader and slicing his uh, eye, his orbital socket wide open. And they ended up at some point, some uh, digital picture was taken and that ended up being the cover of WWE Raw magazine. Um, just a hard way juice um, that Vader had because of that injury in the match. Undertaker hit a very impressive choke slam on the Vader and Vader sold it very, very well right after that uh, injury to the face. Uh, a very unique piece of commentary. I don't know if you guys picked it up regarding Vader uh, when he was doing his like kind of like his body shot rush to knock over Bret Hart. Uh, Jim Ross said Vader using that 450 pounds of ass and oh, almost had my heart wrapped up for the three count. I was just like, wow, that just came out of nowhere. But at the same time, I believe that was probably Ross doing a shot at Vader because he was having some issues with weight gain and struggling and so on. So I perhaps he was purposefully or inadvertently burying him um, on the broadcast. Uh, Austin and Undertaker are brawling out uh, in the aisleway on the floor. Austin goes for a pile driver, probably a little homage to uh, Lawler being in Tennessee and so on. Um, uh, but Undertaker back body drops Austin onto the uh, hard floor and the crowd popped for that. Austin throwing the stairs on top of Vader. There was a very good uh, crowd pop for that. Uh, Vader and Bret Hart brawling out in the crowd when Bret did an Irish whip to Vader and he ended up flinging his body over the guardrail into the crowd. And then Bret Hart chases after him, starts punching him in the face. I'm sure, I mean, his whole left side of his face was completely just covered in blood. I'm sure that blood, every punch had to be spraying out into the crowd and perhaps covering fans. So kind of kind of gross thinking about it. Do you guys see Vader trying to give Brett a sharpshooter on the floor? Oh, and it kind of got God. broken up by Undertaker. I just thought that, that was weird. do a better one. 
Exactly. Um, I noticed after that sharpshooter attempt, we start to see some of the wear and tear on Austin's legs, and Austin's beginning to visibly limp uh, throughout the match. Uh, Bret Hart hits a hard pile driver on Austin in the middle for a two and a half count. Uh, Vader sets up Undertaker, climbs to the top rope to hit his patented moonsault. A moonsault that, do you guys ever remember Vader actually hitting the moonsault in WWF at the time? He hit it a few times in WCW, I know, against the Guardian Angel, uh, Big Boss Man, Ray Trailer. But you guys ever remember Vader hitting the moonsault in WWF? Hitting Impressive sight, him doing a, Yeah, hitting an actual other person with it. Like, you know, and hitting the maneuver like he was meant to. Because he's done it and hit um, Yeah, here. absolutely. Hit that all the time. And and, it, and it's a full a full moonsault for that big man. Not like Bam Bam Bigelow's three-quarter moonsault that we were, that Luna salt that he was doing, um, that diagonal flip kind of deal, uh, more of a cartwheel kind of flip. I mean, he was doing a legit moonsault. And for a big guy, 400-plus pounds, uh, it was just an impressive sight. Um, the... Uh, so after the uh, missed moonsault, Brett, they do a transition where now Vader is brawling with Brett. And um, Brett kicks Vader in the groin right in the middle of the ring. Again, no DQ. The crowd popped hard for that. Um, and we continue to see Austin beginning to more visibly uh, struggle with his left leg. And uh, we finally get our first elimination. Bret Hart, kind of like a fireman's carry takeover, throws Brett, uh, Austin over the top rope and onto the floor. And we've got our first elimination. And even with now there being an odd number, uh, the three remaining combatants, they do an excellent job transitioning back and forth. Two guys going at it. One of them gets a 15, 20-second transitional rest, and then they get involved. There was very little actual double-teaming maneuvers. I mean, these guys were just out for blood and out trying to uh, capture that championship. Vader uh, finally rips off the mask. We've joked about it before that, you know, at this point, what's the point even having the mask? He would normally take it off half the time during the match anyway. He pulls away that mask. and I mean, that mask was just completely saturated, covered in blood. Um, Vader just has had problematic issues with eye injuries throughout his career between this match and, you know, taking that hard weight chair shot to the face from Taker. I know that he had an infamous match in Japan where Stan Hansen knocked, punched him in the face or clotheslined him so hard that his eye actually popped out of his socket. And Vader had to take off his mask and actually push his eye back into the orbital socket. And they ended up having to go to the doctor and have uh, orbital bones reset in his face. Um, what'd you guys think of Bret Hart doing a superplex to Vader off the top rope? Never I thought you'd ever say that. Crazy physics-wise, that yeah, physics-wise, and he pulled it off. You know, it wasn't like you know three quarters of the way across the ring, but he got Vader completely over. You know, it wasn't even like you know be a little Brett being a little bit lower to help ease Vader up. I mean, Brett climbed to the top rope while Vader was you know straddling the second rope and climbed finally up to the top and got Vader over. Just completely, completely amazing. We see a sharpshooter on Brett. Uh, or by Brett to Vader, and then for whatever reason, The Undertaker decides to break that up. I don't, that wouldn't really make sense. You'd want, I guess, Vader to tap out by submission. Uh, but Taker knocks Brett out of the ring, and then we see a run-in by Austin, who begins to attack Brett Hart. So now 
Austin and Hart are kind of brawling outside of the ring. So now Vader and Undertaker are focusing their attention on each other. Uh, Vader lays Undertaker out to climb to the second rope to do a Vader bomb. But Undertaker sits up and immediately low blows Vader into the groin. And uh, Vader tumbles over the top rope onto the floor. Interesting, with the rules of the match, all three eliminations were... Uh, you know, Royal Rumble finishes over the top rope and on the floor. Uh, we eventually see Undertaker now trying to get to Brett. You know, Brett tries to sneak up behind the Undertaker uh, to help push him out of the ring, but Taker turns around, grabs him by the throat, does a great looking, a great choke slam onto Brett Hart. Uh, thinking maybe that was going to be the finish of the match. And then we still get Austin. For whatever reason, the agents can't seem to control him and get him out of there. He gets up onto the ring and starts distracting uh, uh, both Brett and The Undertaker. And Undertaker kind of swings at Austin to knock him down. And the second he turns around, Bret Hart hits him with a clothesline. Boom, over the top rope, onto the floor, landing on his feet. And Bret Hart wins WWF Championship and is now four-time WWF Champion. Uh, I thought it was a great match. Obviously, the match of the night, considering there were only five matches on the entire card for the pay-per-view. Uh, be interesting to see if you've got what your guys' take on it and if you think it's going to scrape the top five. All right. So I would say this is one of the most important matches in WWF history because of everything it sets up and the path it leads. Now, there's many TV shows that have what they call filler episodes. It doesn't matter for the overall point of the show. You can skip it. If you're watching WWF, the the main story, not that we watch it like that, but if you, it's a drama, you know, this is integral to the overall plot of the entire company. Um, and we haven't really mentioned it. Like, we were talking off air, but we haven't mentioned what happened at the Rumble to cause this match. Where Austin is eliminated from the Rumble... The referees don't see it because Mankind and Terry Funk are fighting on the outside, drawing everyone's attention. Austin comes back in, dumps out Undertaker and Vader, turns around. Bret Hart has just dumped out fake Diesel. Austin dumps Bret out. By the time the referees turn back around, everyone's out of the ring except for Austin. And they catch Austin's eliminating people, but they don't catch his elimination, which then sets up this match which was supposed to be a number one contender match, but when Shawn Michaels gave up title, it became for a title. Now, a question for you two before I get to the match. Why wasn't Fake Diesel invited into this? Make a final five. Because Fake Diesel, Glenn Jacobs, who ended up playing Kane, he was legitimately uh, eliminated by a legal combatant. He wasn't uh, eliminated by Steve Austin, who had already been eliminated. So he wasn't illegally eliminated. In fact, Bret Hart actually eliminated him. He would have been the last guy physically thrown out of the ring, and Bret should have won the Royal Rumble right there by eliminating that fake Diesel character. Uh, and the referee did see that, but then immediately afterwards they just see Austin pushing Bret over the top rope onto the floor. So Bret did legitimately uh, eliminate fake Diesel Right after Austin had re-entered the ring and pushed out Undertaker and Vader. So Undertaker and Vader on the floor. Brett still being a legal combatant in the Rumble. Fake Diesel still being a legal combatant in the Rumble. Brett successfully eliminates the Fake Diesel. Boom, technically Brett should have been the winner right there. So 
yeah, there's an argument to be made. Yes, he, you know, the, this pay-per-view is called Final Four, but really the, the Final Four guys, the, you know, the fake Diesel character was le- one of them. But he was legitimately, uh, you know, eliminated by Bret Hart. And, and he, you are correct. He was legitimately eliminated by Bret Hart, who was still legally in the match, unlike Austin. However, Bret had just... Re, just thrown Austin out and then focused his attention on fake diesel. Correct. I would say that if Brett was aware Austin came back in the ring and the referees didn't see it, he may have taken his attention away from fake diesel and focused on Austin, which then throws fake diesel into a state of confusion. There is he eliminated in that moment later on. Maybe this could have been his push. Everybody got have that push. <laughs> Everybody needs that push. Now, like you're saying about Austin's knees, if you really want to see how bad it is, watch the following night's Raw and the title match. Austin can't even bend his knee when right. he comes out to interfere. It's really bad. And he's in jeans, which became more of his signature look anyways when he wasn't involved in a match. But it's clear it got worse during the course of this match. It's. I had to go back. I know Treats read the rules at the start. I had to go back and see the rules again. Because when pinfall and submission are an option, yet all three eliminations are over the top, I had to go back to see if pinfall and submission were actually options for the match. It's weird to have them, and yet they weren't used. It, it, it's kind of weird that all three were eliminations. There were a few pinfall attempts. I remember Vader yelling at the ref to do a count when he was on Undertaker. And I know we, we joke about, you know, Bret Hart never hooking the leg, but there were a few times he was doing pinfall attempts on everybody in the match at some point, but would only get two and a half. Like he did a pile driver on Austin and I even had in my notes, he got a two and a half count. So, Oh, there were, there were attempts. It's just weird that none of them got a three. Right. Exactly. You know, it, it was just weird that all three were over the top eliminations. Um, v- Vader's eye is obviously the, the star of the match in right. some ways. I wonder if that mask made it even worse. Every time he moves, every time he's hit, that mask is probably just scraping against an open wound and making it even worse. And there's no chance of it. I mean, not that it was going to close up anyways, but there's no chance of it even getting a breather to heal because that mask is going to irritate it constantly. Right. If, if anything, it's probably like collecting and pulling the blood, making it even worse. His vision had to have been shot for that match. There's not a chance he was seeing out of both eyes, clearly. Like, absolutely no chance of it. Um, it's also, like you're saying, with the, the way that they all pair up and everything, it is non-stop. And it is four guys. The only other Vader WWF match that would have a chance is him and Michaels at SummerSlam. But this would be Vader's second best match in his WWF career. Let me let me ask you guys this, just to kind of um, because I I brought it up the point that we have not seen this style of match um, since. On say, uh, why don't I do uh, Matt uh, the Educator? I'll give you Raw and SmackDown. Name four competitors you think could have a, this style of match now. Uh, in front of a crowd, uh, a lively like crowd. Current roster, two thousand. Yeah, current roster. 
just just to, and make it one of the more memorable and, and stick right to um, SmackDown and Raw. I don't want to use NXT guys. Is this title up for grabs? Yeah, same exact same rules, exact everything. Scenario? Okay. Yeah, and then you know what, Kevin? I'll give you AEW. I want to hear four people you think from AEW. But let's go to the Educator first. Uh, we'll probably go with Drew McIntyre. Uh, probably Seth Rollins. The Fiend and Braun. Braun Strowman. Just for just four guys, one that could create a lot of movement, um, create a lot of um, chaos as well. Right. And uh, you know, the believable card, that they the wild card guy. Austin was the wild. Well, he the chaos. I just the wild card itself. Uh, I mean, you, you got Seth Rollins, who is going to be, you know, the flippity moveset guy, but is also going to be, you know, sneaking in the back door and looking to steal whatever win he can. Um, so, Kevin, same question to you, but with AEW roster, who do you think the four would be? Brody. Kenny Omega. Moxley. And for crazy and, you know, the one that is using this moment to really show he belongs, Darby Allen. Yeah. I like, I, I like that choice of Darby. I like it. Yeah, it's just, I really like the concept of this match. Um, I also think, too, because I know we were talking about the chaos of the match. I think it would benefit from technology now where you could do split screen, follow two guys that are brawling. Um, I know they did it uh, short where... There was a little spot where Vader gets thrown over the top. I think it was Vader and Brat, and then literally they fight in the crowd for two seconds, and then they're they're back over, um, you know, over the guardrail. Where, you know, if you have two cameras following them, you could do f- fun things with um, the screen where you're following the you know both guys going at once, and then having say you have you know three officials or two officials following the action. So. Very interesting concept, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to ask those questions because they were kind of uh, just kind of burning in my mind. I wonder if with this match taking place and WCW's winning the ratings and WO's such a huge gimmick, if this was, look what our top four guys can do. Right. They're about to go all out for near 30 minutes and just put on a hell of a show, try to beat that. Do you think if they took out Vader and put in someone like a Mankind, how much would the the match, the the dynamics change? I think Mankind's your best bet to take that Vader spot. Yeah. I think we saw him have chemistry with Undertaker. We saw him have chemistry with Austin. Mankind, Bret Hart, if it happened, it wasn't like a pay-per-view or a major match or anything. I got to imagine at some point they crossed paths. Maybe a house show or raw or something, but I can't think of anything. So it'd be, I'd be curious just to see how they pair up. But I think mankind could have gone all, may have even succeeded Vader's spot in the match. I think one of the big things for Vader is you do get the blood, you do get, um, it's almost like he upped his energy level seeing the blood or worked a little harder or something. Like that, that blood seemed to, flip some sort of switch in him different gear whatever you want to call yeah. it he but he I, knew he had to make this count because yeah. of the injury itself so he just like completely stepped up his game but i think you have like mankind like we saw at mind games for example 
in this match could have pushed up into like the best match of the year. Well, not well, no, because Bretton Austin's at Mania, but it w- you know, I mean, I-, I think Mankind's probably the only option out of who was available. Like, I think if you put Sid in there instead of Vader, that doesn't happen. But I think Mankind could have upped it instead of Vader. I wouldn't take any of the other three out of it, though. Yeah, it's just some just some food for thought. That's that's all I had. Um, Kevin, what else did you have on this? Anything else? I watched the match twice because when I watched it the first time, it does it did not hold up to as good as I remembered it. And I wanted to watch it again, saying, "Okay, I know what takes place. I know everyone's eliminated. I know this happens. I know that happens. I know when this match." And just rewatch again. And I enjoyed it more then. But I think I'm going to have to be convinced for where this one stands in our rankings. I'm just not there yet. All right. So why don't, why don't we move on to that? Um, I know, uh, educator, you, you brought it up. Uh, do you want to make a case for this to be on the top five? Oh, let's, let's start from uh, the top uh, so, and work our way down. Yeah, so let's go through the top five real quick. Of course, number one, uh, we have HBK versus uh, Real Diesel at A Good Friend's Better Enemies. Uh, Number two, we have uh, Bret Hart versus the British Bulldog at Season's Beatings. Uh, Number three, of course, is the People's Posse taking on Camp Cornette at International Incident. Uh, number four is The Undertaker versus Mankind at Buried Alive. And then number five is HBK versus Mankind at Mind Games. Um, which one, well, where would you put it, actually? I'm wondering if it's going to scrape that top five and replace HBK Mankind. Hallians, what are, you, what are your thoughts? I mean, I don't see it being better than the number four. The, the People's Posse match was really... Uh, 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 just the crowd was so, I mean, the crowd was into this, but the crowd and everybody was just absolutely in love with that match, that international incident. So, um, what are your thoughts in comparing this Hellions to, uh, Michael's mankind? I, I could agree with it being in the top 10 for sure. I could put it six. I just don't think I enjoyed it more than or than uh, Shawn Michaels' Mankind. See, to me, when I remember reflecting back on the Michaels' Mankind match, it, there was just a, a few major spots, but there wasn't a lot to, from what I remember. It was a unique pairing, a unique combination, such a diverse set of styles uh, between Mankind versus Michaels. Whereas in this, there is just constant in-ring action and the transitions back and forth. I just I thought this match flowed a lot better than the Shawn Michaels Mankind match. When I think of the Shawn Michaels Mankind match, I I only remember just like the table spot abruptly near the end of the match, and then the schmaz finish kind of is what kills it for me. This you have a definitive winner, and they're like I said, they're making chicken salad out of chicken poo, and that they're now dealing with it being for the World Wrestling Federation Championship, and it's a definitive winner to a clean finish. I myself, I think, I think this could make the top five and and would bump Michaels versus uh, Mankind out. All right, treats to you. Are you weighing in? Treats, what are your thoughts? I would agree with Hellions on this one. I don't think it it scrapes the top five. I think it, you could place it right at six. 
Um, but me personally, I didn't think, I mean, going back, I remember it being chaotic and having a lot of fun and I, I did have a lot of fun with it. And of course, watching, uh, Stone Cold and Brat, but I don't think it's better than that mind, mind games match. I mean, I, it's close. I like it a lot. And honestly, you know, like, um, as, as much as I got picked on for the NXT episode, when I'm changing my mind, as we go along and talk on the show next week, you asked me this, I might put it in top five and bump Sean Michaels mankind, which, you know, it, it's funny how nostalgia works. That wasn't that many weeks ago. And I'm already like, you know, I want to watch that match again. That was a fun match. And I'm going to feel the same way about this. And it's certainly top 10 right now. I'm absolutely putting it six. I just don't know what it is. Yes. There's a confirmed pin or there's a confirmed winner, which helps a lot. It might be because it's the rumble eliminations. Like if there were some pinfalls in the match, like actual pinfalls, I might put it up a little higher. Like you're saying, if it wasn't Vader in there, I might have it, you know, someone doing a little more. If, Austin didn't seem to be run out of steam. Honestly, I think if Austin was in more of the match and wasn't first eliminated, it could have gone a little higher. Those eliminations, though, they went quick. Oh, oh, once it started, yeah. One right after another. And like I said, just the Vader with the blood and then like a switch, like you you yourself said, a switch turning on, probably one of the better uh, performances by Vader that we ever see. Uh, The crowd again. I felt the crowd was more invested into this match than they were uh, in the Michaels-Mankind match. Maybe I'm wrong and just not remembering correctly. I just thought it was just consistent, consistent action, uh, you know, and there was very little lull or no break whatsoever. And, uh, you know, we ended up making a a mountain out of a molehill and the fact that they had to, you know, change things up in order to uh, advance storylines further towards WrestleMania. Whereas you've got the 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 schmas finish because you didn't want to make mankind or make Shawn Michaels look weak in that particular match. I think the issue with both matches is when we went back and watched them, and I, I know like like Hellion said he had to watch this one twice. Is they both didn't feel as good as or or I, they're not as good as I remember. Right, and that's that's the issue I'm having is like okay. To, to me, like the HBK Mankind, I think held up a little bit better because basically I didn't like the pacing of it, rewatching it now. Um, whereas with this, this was all pacing, but I, I didn't like the entire, um, you know, the throw over the top rope for the eliminations. I thought that was kind of a, a cop out, if you will, when you have the pinfall and submissions that you, you could have had. Um, you know, I just, like I said, I, I enjoy the, the HBK mankind match again. I could see myself watching that again, more so than watching this one again. Yeah, it's, it's close. It's like a five and a half. It's super close, but there's this something you made excellent points. I was, I I was debating changing shocker, Kevin. Shocker. (laughs) Yeah, it's just I like I said I don't I don't see this one. I mean, and then knowing what's coming up too, it would just be kicked off anyways. So. Oh, absolutely. I, and and I gotta say, like that is part of it because as we're going through, I'm like I know some of these matches are getting bumped off. Right. Up here. 
Uh, but before that is over, we're actually not done because Sid does come out to the ring, um, confronts Brat, and then of course we do get a WrestleMania preview uh, for the release of the Coliseum Home Video. Once again, one of those those weird releases uh, saying that WrestleMania on Home Video is May six. But it doesn't tell you when WrestleMania 13 is. I thought that yeah. was kind of interesting. That has to. Uh, I'm just curious as to that couldn't be what they played back then. That had to be added in. That had to be the Coliseum home video add-in. Maybe the Coliseum videos is an in in-house video because they own Coliseum. But maybe the original WrestleMania pay-per-view ad said like viewers' choice or something like that, like some logo or graphic or company reference that they don't own and wouldn't want to put on network. Yeah. So uh, we ranked this match. I guess it's a, a the you know the final four match would have a uh, it's going to be our sixth one. I would guess. I mean, it's it's razor thin between that it, and the it, in the end though. Combat. I mean, if we slip this in, it's going to get bumped off in a couple of shows anyway. So yeah, which is why, which is why I'm not going to continue to try to grind the point to see if it would make it, knowing that eventually it would go anyway. It's not like we're debating number one, right? All right, so why don't we rank the entire In Your House pay-per-view? Of course, you know, we got our rankings. We watched 12 of them so far, so we're at the halfway point uh, because I think there's, what, 26 of them total? 27, right? Maybe 26, 27, around there. Um, So why don't we rank this? Do you think this is going to be in the bottom, the top, or the middle? Um, Educator. Bottom, without a doubt. Uh, Would you agree with that, Hellions? It's a good main event. I liked other things, but I like them like I enjoy a good match on Superstars or Raw, right. not as a pay-per-view. Not as a pay-per-view, no. Well, it had the Superstars set, so yeah, <laughs> it's right up there. Okay, so um, let me just start at number eight and work our way down. Because I think looking at the list, because I have the list in front of me, that's kind of where it sits. Um, so... Is this better or uh, we'll start from the bottom work our way up, I guess. Um, is this better than good friends, better enemies? Uh, I, I, I would say it would be just we get the opportunity to see a newer tag team with Furnace and LaFon. Uh, granted, you know, the performance wasn't as great. Uh, the debut of China, which was decent. Uh, we do see one of the first pay-per-view matches or it, technically the fair first pay-per-view match between our one-on-one with Rocky and the Rock and Triple H. Granted, certainly wasn't all that impressive, and the crowd wasn't invested in it. I just think history timeline-wise, um, I look at this a lot more fondly than the cluster that was Good Friends, Better Enemies, and the Ultimate Warrior Gold Dust debacle. I'll, I'll give you that. Good Friends, Better Enemies, other than the main event, there's nothing on that show. But this, there's... Rocky and Triple H is there for a reason. Um, honestly, Wildman Leaf Cassidy wasn't bad. Like you know, superstars raw quality. China's right. debut. Um, Owen Bulldog, Prince Lafon. Like they tried the, the incredible six man tag. Of course, I I think it's second from last. Though, so. well, let's work our way up and find out. So the next one is Lumberjacks, number two, the second pay per view. Yeah, I think I guess I'd go with them on this one. I think it'd be right there. I don't think it's better than the Lumberjacks. Yeah, for the undercard, not at all. Wow, that's interesting to me. I thought it would be higher, personally, on the card. But the uh, 
it's the tribal a, council has spoken. It's, it's a glorified superstars taping, other it than really the main is. event. Other than the main it event, it has the look of it. Has the dead crowd. Like there's there's a lot going against it. I mean, had this been Sunday morning superstars, they would have chimed in voiceover crowd reactions. Oh, absolutely. Know? All right, so that's going to go at number twelve on the list. Of course, our top three: number one being international incident. Uh, number two being triple header and number three being season's beatings. Uh, One last thing I I do want to point out about the final four is the promotional poster for the pay-per-view features. Well, it's the final four, so it should be the four guys in your main event, right? I mean, that's what you would think. So, of course, you got Austin, you got Hart, you got Sid, and you got Shawn Michaels. Like, what in the world? Like, what a random... uh, you know, random four guys to put on it. So, um, so yeah, I think that's gonna pretty much do it for this, for this uh, pay per view, guys. We did another one, another one in the books. But next week we actually have a special edition of the house show. You know what it is? It, we're putting on an addition to the house. Uh, we're Ooh, actually gonna room? cover what's that? A game room. Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Not just any game room, a retro game room. Ooh. Yeah. Um, we're not talking about your man cave, Kevin. No. So, um, <laughs> we're actually going to cover not one, but two in your house pay-per-views. There are certain reasons why we are doing this. Uh, of course, uh, we're going to watch uh, In Your House 14, which is Revenge of Taker, uh, which is the main event actually um, features a number one contenders match for the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. And then In Your House 15, A Cold Day in Hell, um, features basically that match. So we thought it would be a good idea to put two back to back. And uh, what are we what are we gonna call it, guys? Uh, in your, uh, a house show double feature, maybe. Earl and Dave double Hefner. We'll get T-shirts made up. Just stop. Guys. Or or since it's two houses, we could call it in your neighborhood. In your cul-de-sac. Crickets. I want to punch you in your cul-de-sac right <laughs> yeah. now. Oh, much like Bret Hart to debater. Yeah, we'll give you that one. <laughs> All right, so why don't we move on uh, from that? Educator, anything you want to say to the uh, Retro Network uh, audience? Like, thank you all for uh, giving us a listen to this evening and uh, going on this journey. I appreciate my two co-hosts and the opportunity to reminisce about these shows in the past. It's a great opportunity. One, uh, one of my highlights is as well, uh, being able to sit down and talk about these shows uh fans of the uh podcast please go to the retro network and check out their content they have amazing stuff online lots of different things in order to pique your interest you will not at all be disappointed yeah and as always i want to say um you know thanks for listening uh, to us uh to uh let me start that over again uh one thing i want to say is uh thank you to everyone for listening to the show of course um, if you like us, please, uh, let your friends know about the show. Let your friends know about the retro network and, uh, follow me on Twitter. If you will at Maddie treats, uh, you know, where we talk about fun stuff like, uh, you know, the, 
the car sushi, I guess, is a fun thing. What is what is that there, uh, uh, educator? What do you what do you got there? What is dancing? Oh, you know, what is that? My my little my my amiibo there for Zelda. Oh, okay. <laughs> you guys you need to watch the video portion of our podcast. It's very good. So, anyways, uh, Mr. Hellions, why don't you uh, take us home? All right. I want to thank all of our usual people. Thanks to my two co-hosts here. Thanks to the Retro Network for hosting us. Thank you to WWE Network for the content. Thank you to Richard Reader for our logo. Thank you to our podcasting friends, because we got a lot of people saying how much they love us, and we love their podcast, too. That is Wizards at Odds with Wrestling. And, guys, we're on the... Uh, the Oedipus. No, no. <laughs> and guys, this is your go home segment, Kevin. They gave you the microphone. <laughs> One job, Come on. man. This, this is why if we're the shield, you're the Roman Reigns when it comes to promos. <laughs> Suffering suck at that. And guys, thanks to our NXT episode, we have made friends with the Wednesday Night War podcast. So I want to thank all of our other podcast friends out there. And uh, I think I'm going to go put some ice on this. On your cul-de-sac? Yes. <laughs> now it's a cul-de-sac with ice. What's the best thing to you in the car? I wanted to say <laughs> so bad. <laughs> you should have. I'll bleep it out. <laughs> you should have said, well, it depends if you're in the front or the back. <laughs> oh, God damn it. That would have worked. You know what? I'll probably edit that line into that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> we got our, right. our end tag right here. Post credit scene. Yeah. Yeah. Stay. Yeah. It's our Marvel snippet. Okay. We'll get you back to the